It is another balmy Sunday evening here in the British Isles as we have a somewhat, somewhat more tolerable, uh, relieving 24 degrees Celsius tonight um, after a very long, very brutal week. Um, I'm one of your hosts, absolutely incapable of dealing with the heat, Barry Murphy. Thank you very much for listening, folks. Join, as always, by my ever-dependable co-host, first of all, Paul Griffin. Yeah, the producer, but also the fucking audio engineer, it turns out. And the editor. Uh, do it all. Don't worry about that. Get paid. Bring in the money. Bring the dollars. Put the food on the table. <laughs> I, like, I like how you make it a distinction there, as if like the, that these aren't all encompassed in producer. No, I mean, I don't think they are. I think if you uh, check out modern podcasts... Uh, they have a producer, and what the producer, all the producer does is uh, type in the chat, move this segment along, lads, we're going a bit long, uh, take it home. <laughs> well, we never bother doing that. So. No, we have yeah, a different yeah. person who does the actual engineering and stuff. Well, when we get Jack a all trades, when we get a budget, we'll get we'll get a separate uh, we'll get a separate person to 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 do that. But for now, it's just we're we're stuck with what we got, you know. We're all we're all producers in a way. In a way, yeah, we all we all contribute something. Um, you know, the, the main thing we all contribute is banter. You know, um, yeah. speaking of, also with us is of course Mr. Joe Towner. Hello, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned there in the intro, lads, uh, five degrees lower than it was a couple of days ago, which might not sound like a lot, but you know what? I'll take it. I don't know if Joe picked up on it, but your your intro was very sensual sounding. You're, oh, it's a balmy, oh, hot day. I was like, what? <laughs> Talking about how fucking sweaty and gross I am. It's about, hey, don't kink shame the listeners. Bro. It's been it's been thirty degrees earlier in the week. And it liked, did not like that now, but no, we're now we're now kind of down in the uh, in the ballpark of a temperature where it's summery, it's sunny, people are outside, they're sunbathing, it's great. But it's like livable, I feel like, when we're down here in the 24 range. Um, but yeah, uh, it peaked earlier in the week at around the 3-0 mark on the old Celsius. Yeah, it tended to peak around that, around 8pm of a Wednesday and Thursday when I shut all the windows and doors in the in the apartment to exclude any noise from my professional Twitch broadcast. And oh, baby, it's really fucking hard to... to Play the game, run the Twitch, and sort of you know constantly be re-inhaling my own sweaty mm. output. Um, so especially when you're when you're having a breakdown. Yes, um, yeah, and I'm getting upset and animated, uh, and I'm turning red. Uh, even if it was cold, I'd be turning red. Yeah, redder than Mario's hat. I think <laughs> would be the comparison I'd make at at how woefully he was uh, faring at a child's game <laughs> from twenty years ago. Listen. <laughs> Listen, it's it's harder than it looks. All right. Um, anyway, so that's been the uh, that's been the story of the week uh, uh, here for me. How are you lads finding the heat, and what else have you been up to? Uh, yeah, it was very warm, wasn't it? Very humid. That's what that's what does it. It's not just hot uh, in these aisles. It gets very hot, very humid. So you can't breathe. It's hot, and you don't have any air conditioning. Because uh, you don't really need that more than a week a year, so don't bother with it. Just get a nice fan on uh, to blow the hot air around. Very good. So um, it's actually now the, um, the heat's died down. It's at, it's been pissing down today, 
uh, nice thunderstorms over here, nice floods. So uh, it makes for a nice pace of change. Uh, go from the old sweaty bollocks to uh, <laughs> water up to your ankles. So that's good. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a nice, nice change of pace. So yeah, not much, not much for us going on this week because it was a bit quite a busy um, couple of weeks when we were off. Um, there was one thing I neglected to mention actually last week. Michelle reminded me as soon as she uh, listened to the podcast. She was like, "Why didn't you talk about going to Manchester for the weekend?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot all about that." <laughs> um, so that was the week the week before or two three weeks ago now. So uh, yeah, we spent the weekend in Manchester, which is the kind of second city of the UK or second city of England. Uh, up in the northwest, uh, of course, home to Manchester United Football Club and Manchester City Football Club. Um, so we went up there for the weekend. My first time going there um, was very enjoyable. Um, I've been to a, quite a few cities in England and being from London, which is obviously you know one of the biggest cities in the world, hmm. you go to these cities and they've got like a little shopping centre, one train station, and that's about it. And you go, oh, it's a bit shit. Um, why do people live here? But Manchester, actually, really good. I would kind of put it up there with the, the good European cities that I've been to, like a Dublin, like a Copenhagen, like a, an Amsterdam. So Manchester did not disappoint. It was actually really good. Um, went to Old Trafford, of course, the Theatre of Dreams, home of, of Manchester United. We did the stadium tour, um, which was I, very enjoyable. I was very jealous. Yeah, so so you should be. Cause it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very intimate tour. You get to see kind of all of the... You know all of the kind of inner workings so you get you go around the stadium obviously and get close to the pitch side you get to sit in the dugouts um you get to sit in like the executive kind of um chairs where all the directors usually sit um one thing that's notable obviously when it, i've been to football stadiums quite a lot of different football stadiums over the years but when you go in them and you actually see how small the pitch is because <laughs> on tv it looks fucking enormous but when you actually stood there you're like oh it's not like it's not actually that big is it it's very kind of intimate uh, an old trafford even that's the biggest club stadium in the uh, in england it it does feel very intimate because it's kind of a bowl stadium and you feel very close to the, the pitch as well um so that was great and it, i tell one notable thing was it absolutely stank of garlic uh throughout the whole stadium and that is apparently because they use garlic oil as a natural um, like, uh, pesticide. Hmm. So as we walk around this, the entire stadium, you're walking around for an hour and all you can smell is like garlic bread kind of cooking in the oven uh, from the other room. That's what it smells like. This isn't, this isn't the setup of an elaborate Peter Kay bit, is it? This, this, <laughs> it, it was not, no. It was, it was a very kind of unique sort of situation there. Um, yeah, so that was really, really good. Got to see the executive lounge right from all the other stuff. So yeah, really good. I'd recommend that if you're a United fan or if you ever had the chance to go to Manchester, it was definitely, definitely worth it. Um, a lot of, a lot of fun. And yeah, and that was about it. And then we kind of we went to a few museums, National Football Museum, which was very good. I would say a little bit quantity over quality, if I'm honest, because mm. they had about, <laughs> it was like two floors just full of stuff, just medals programs all these videos and stuff but nothing kind of wow factor it wasn't like oh we've yeah. got i don't know um george best skull Bob, Bobby, <laughs> george <laughs> best. yeah they had george best's mini cooper and i was like <laughs> from 2002 and i was like who's a fuck it's, yeah it's not it's not from the if it was from the 60s or something you'd be like oh yeah that's the, that's what he i think they had his know, i think they, to be fair though, they, had his, they had his they had his boots i think if i recall correctly I, yeah I, I went to that yeah place. they did have some they did have a few um 
some of his stuff, which is quite good. And they had like um, the England 66, you know, world, a lot of World Cup and shirts and stuff like that. So it was it was pretty good. But yeah, it was a lot of stuff. So we were there for a good few hours. Um, but yeah, other than that, Manchester was a delight. So we, we definitely look forward to going back and perhaps seeing a match or just uh, seeing a bit more of the city. But yeah, I give Manchester a big, big thumbs up. Um, so other than that, this week, a very quiet one. We've just been watching a little bit of the Olympics. Um, not too much because it's all on early in the morning in Japan because it's Japan. Yeah. And so when we get up at 11 o'clock, it's all finished, baby. So not seeing a lot of that. But um, yeah, the only other very annoying thing just to finish on the Olympics is that previously, 2012 and 2016, uh, BBC had the, the exclusive rights and they do a fantastic job with, with BBC iPlayer. You can basically were able to stream anything. They'd show every sport right. um, on demand. They'd have great commentary on all of it. It was fantastic. Uh, the IOC, in their wisdom, have, have sold the rights to Discovery Plus slash Eurosport. Um, Eurosport? Yeah. So I popped a bit of Eurosport on. I popped uh, one of the, the football matches on. Um, lovely bit of commentary from the 200 meter breaststroke swimming over the top of the football. So that was, that was, Uh, and apparently they had snooker commentary on some of the events earlier in the week, which is interesting because snooker's not, there isn't any snooker on at the moment. I don't know where they got that from. Uh, yeah. And Discovery Plus doesn't have any commentary on most of the events. And that combined with the fact that there's no fans in the arenas, means that it's just complete silence. It's like incredibly eerie and a bit a bit weird to watch. But um, yeah, so very disappointed we're not getting the full full Monty kind of BBC coverage because that, that was fantastic. But uh, yeah, that's a shame. That's a capitalism for you. What can you do? Yeah. What can you do? But yeah, other than that, bit of, bit of Olympic action for us. Uh, that's, been the, that's been the week. Oh, and Michelle got a second jab. I should mention that. Oh, Michelle. well done. Oh, tell me off. But yeah, got that done today. Good stuff, good so. Stuff. Oh, we'll sort it a couple of weeks and we'll be uh, immune. Yeah, we're uh, just waiting for the second round here ourselves. Um, you watch any Olympics, Paul? Or... No, I don't know what the Irish Olympic rights situation is. I, um, yeah, I have actually no idea. Because, you know, Joe was talking about I- iPlayer and I did watch some of the last Olympics on the iPlayer, but I had to do the funky VPN workaround because mm-hmm. iPlayer, even though we we get BBC over here, um, even on like terrestrial TV, we get BBC. When it comes to iPlayer, they say, oh, fuck off, back to Ireland, mate, and watch your own shite. Oh, what's um, to be independent, did you? Well, you are now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I assume RT or... Virgin. I think the Discovery Plus is European wide, so mm. probably a similar thing. Oh, where RTE have some of the some of the footage, but not all of it. So, yeah. Well, Natty is big into the Olympics. She likes some of the events yeah. a lot, um, but with the time zone difference, and she's just so fucking so busy every day. I don't know if we're going to yeah. get time to watch much of it, but um, we'll try and arrange it. But otherwise, no, I haven't watched any of it yet. Uh, I only saw in the football that. Uh, they wear the same jerseys as the professional uh, national teams, but like with a slightly different badge. And I thought that was quite strange. Oh. And also, they're not allowed to have the Adidas three stripes on the Adidas kits. Oh. So the kits are identical. Like the Germany kit is, you know, yeah. white with the black stripes, same as the, the normal one, but it has a little German flag or something instead of the Germany badge, and it has no Adidas stripes on it. So it's a bit, a bit strange. Um. 
Speaking of jerseys, uh, I'm wearing currently my my new Man United jersey. Uh, Not by choice, but because it is now the lightest t-shirt I own. And since I got it, I've I've, I've already worn it about five times. Um, Being that it's the... uh, the authentic player kit. Mm. It's 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 very it's very very light, and all my other T-shirts cause me to sweat like a pig. So um, I'm happy that that heat wave is starting to die down now. I can go back to wearing other clothes. Do, do they sell, so you you say it's the authentic player kit? So do the most of the replica replica kits aren't authentic because that actually be something they mentioned at the on the tour. Because they yeah. had a bunch of shirts that had been worn by players, and they were like, he said, they're actually much, much thinner than the replica kit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I felt Juan Mata's jersey, and I was like, it's basically paper. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. incredibly thin. It's That's very, very, it's, it's almost see through. Yeah, strange. Um, yeah, I, I, I bought it this year. I also bought it last year. Uh, last year's authentic as well. But um, if you look at the pictures, Joe, you'll notice that actually this year the authentic Man United kit is like a different design to the replica kit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no stripes on the uh, on the replica, whereas there's like three stripes down the front of the the authentic one, which would piss me off if I had bought the replica one and then I watched the footy and they have stripes in their jerseys. I'm like, well, I don't got no stripes. What's going on? Because <laughs> um, I've never the reason I buy them is not actually because they're like very light, although that turned out to be a nice side effect of it. I, I hate the uh, the cardboardy stitched on badge that they put on the replica jerseys. Mm-hmm. And on, on these ones you just get like a nice um heat ironed on badge. It's much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Doesn't give my nip nip so much uh, abrasion abrasion. So it's much more comfortable. Um but yeah, it's it's obviously it's been too hot this week. Um, also, I've been on the late shift at work, um, which is nice because from four p.m. to six p.m., nothing happens, which means I had lots of time for watching movies and stuff. I'm going to talk about lots of movies this week. Um, also, we had a dog staying with us who, and I've never seen this before, uh, shoot diarrhea. Oof. Oh. Um, Shoot diarrhea, oh. as in, as in, in not real, like work. It's real diarrhea. Oh, I, I, I thought you meant it came out like an AK forty-seven all over the walls. <laughs> That's also true. Um, <laughs> now we, we had a dog staying with us, and towards the end of the week, the dog started getting a, a dicky tummy, and uh, it was like having a baby because we had to take turns during the night to take the dog outside. Um, like, the, like the dog, to be fair, was very, very well housebroken. Like the dog wouldn't, wouldn't do anything inside. But would start to like whine and complain to be let out. So I think last night, for example, I was up at two a.m. and five a.m. I think to take the dog out. So it's like having a baby in that you you're yes. you're t- taking turns between Natty and myself. We're taking turns to get up and let the dog out, uh, and then the dog would go and squat in the background, and it would be like a, a faucet, just a, a stream of brown water would come out, uh, which I've I've never seen before. It was very very strange. But good dog. The dog's gone home now. We had, otherwise, the dog was very, very nice. Very good to have around the house. Um, but that was... Unfortunately, that has me like destroyed. Because I haven't had a full night's sleep in about a week. Um, and that's been about my week. It's, it's too hot. Dog <laughs> having the scuts. Um, but I can watch movies. So it's not all bad. Alright. Um... I've had a, a pretty quiet week. Um, 
on my end last night we did go for um uh, an anniversary dinner um for our second year anniversary uh, which was lovely but uh is it like a requirement of a fancy restaurant that the manager has to be storming around like a dickhead the entire time <laughs> like berating his staff um and like doing that thing where they constantly flip the switch between like berating their staff right next to a customer and then being very nice to the customer standing right next to them and then immediately turning back around and being a dickhead. Um, mm. It was pretty, it was pretty fucking outrageous. I mean, it was kind of, it was constantly distracting us because it's kind of like it was a super, it's a super busy, super popular place in the middle of town. Um, uh, and um, it was, I can't remember what it was, but like, <laughs> uh, like a, a, a waitress came up to the manager at one point. And again, this was all within earshot of us and everyone else sitting around us. And it was just kind of like, oh, um, uh, this part, these, these people have uh, uh, shown up late and, you know, we gave, we gave away their table because they were so late, blah, 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 blah. And he, oh, he said something like, uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't really give a shit. Uh, <laughs> Was I working as the manager? What was that? But it, but it was just kind of like, but this is like, it's your job. I don't understand how you can be that way. And it's just like such a stereotypical fucking way to conduct yourself as a as a restaurant manager. Oh my god! So the food was lovely. I got a steak the size of my head. Um, <laughs> it was a four hundred gram plus uh, steak on the bone. It's fucking delicious. Um, so you know, atmosphere was a, a, a D, but the food was was a solid B plus. Um, but yeah, other than that, and complaining about the heat, that's been my week. Not not a whole lot going on here either. Um, and what episode of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares was that? <laughs> well, no, it, it's it, I, I mean that was very much the vibe. He would show up and he would go. Uh, um, he'd be one of the ones who say, "No, chef, I don't think so." One of those New Jersey fucking. Yeah, that, that's your opinion. I I, you know, I got I got no complaints here for twenty years. You know, you, what what the fuck does Chef Ramsay know? <laughs> Bro, I was cooking during the Attitude Era. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's get on to some talk about some tele. Tele, tele, tele. What have you watch? been watching this week? Well, I watched that whole Loki series. Ah, yes. From start to finish. How was it? Um, this is, what again, another uh, advantage of having more free time at work than I normally would have. Um, how was it? That's a, that's a good question, Barry. Um... It well, it did that thing that all these series tend to do, which is it starts off very, um, have, having a very unique idea, a very unique style, and then by the third episode, it's it's devolved into typical Marvel fare where people are running on a purple planet away from explosions. Yeah. Um, I actually really really enjoyed the first two episodes. I thought it was it felt very Douglas Adamsy. If anyone's read like the Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy books, it felt like it kind of existed in that world. And uh, Owen Wilson's great in it. His relationship with um, Loki or the ke- the chemistry between the two actors, I thought was really good. And I was like, oh, look, for- finally they've kind of got the formula right. Everything here is is kind of working for me. Is ticking the boxes for me. Uh, and then in episode three, they're like, well, we don't actually want the show to be. 
a buddy cop movie with Owen Wilson and uh, and uh, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Owen Wilson he's not going to be in episode three and is barely going to feature in the rest of the se- in the season. Instead, it'll be Loki and, and some lady who I, I don't know the actress's name, but like their chemistry was not as good as the Loki Owen Wilson uh, character chemistry. And uh, yeah, I would say like episode one and two. I really enjoyed it's it's very different from everything else like I say a bit Doug, Douglas Adamsy bit Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy feeling um and then episode 3 was utter shit um, <laughs> episode 4 it, it redeemed a little bit uh, it, it kind of got back to um like a, a big part of of that is like episode 3 has a complete change of setting from episodes 1 and 2 for mm. the worse episode 4 a little bit better um episode 5 uh, total shit again and then episode six um, just reminded me the fact that I don't think Marvel or Marvel Studios have have really figured out how to do a satisfying finale episode yet. Yeah. Um, in in the sense of you know, I, obviously I love Lost and Lost finales are always very satisfying. But even something like you know the the Breaking Bad finales or the episode nines of of Game of Thrones, you know, where you you basically spend the whole season building up stuff and then it gets paid off in one kind of uber episode um i feel like these uh mini seasons i think the fact that the season's so short doesn't help in a number of ways number one in the in the finale feeling feeling like a big finale but number two in that the stories never feel fully developed by the time the finale rolls around and so when you get character arcs being paid off um such as in this one where without spoiling anything there's a moment where um, two characters who met in episode one have that kind of like, I'm not going to give you a handshake. I'm going to give you the hug because, by God, we've been through so much. I'm like, they met each other like two days ago in the logic of the show. Um, so that doesn't feel earned. Um, and the finale ultimately was like 45 minutes long. 35 minutes of that was people talking over a desk. And like, that's not what your finale ought to be. Like, okay, I didn't like, I, I complained about the WandaVision finale that it was too much hokey cgi action but at least that felt like the story was being paid off whereas here unfortunately the finale of loki felt like a setup for a movie that's coming down the line it didn't feel definitive for for the series um so i kind of fall in the middle of it i i i I enjoyed probably like three out of the six episodes um that being said like the worst of the series was worse than anything in the in the other uh in the other shows shit cgi or not even CGI, but like green screening. Yeah, um, I, I felt like I was watching Attack of the Clones for for some bits of it. Um, the world didn't feel real at all. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have a lot more complaints about it than I had like positive things to say. But those first two episodes were really enjoyable, and that's that's kind of the worst thing about it is it just feels like uh, another missed opportunity where you know they start with something really unique and really different. And they don't they don't stick with it. They they well, we have to go to what we do Marvel, what Marvel is, and that's uh, big explosions and and uh, f- you know foreign planets and da da da. I was like, well, you had this nice little, um, you know, bottleneck show that existed in this one little setting, and it was really interesting, and the ideas you were putting forward were interesting, and then you kind of f- fucked that all away to do the usual shite, and that's that, that's kind of the worst of it. Uh, anyway, Black Widow review coming up in about half an hour. So sit down. <laughs> uh, just replay this segment again. 
<laughs> and, um, well, I thought Black Re- I thought Black Widow was better than Loki, which uh, really, and uh, yeah, uh, they're of similar really quality. They're of similar quality. But one thing I appreciate about Black Widow more than Loki is, even though it's whatever two and a quarter hours, it feels like a much more developed story because the one story plays out over two and a half hours whereas with Loki because they have to hit the cliffhanger ending and keep people coming back it feels a lot more disjointed and a lot more kind of all over the place um, which is why it was refreshing to watch a Marvel movie after watching these three kind of failed series to me uh, WandaVision Winter Soldier and, and Loki I just don't think that they really can do a proper series and the fact that they're all so short Although, like, by no means would I want more of that fucking Winter Soldier show, which is just the worst. But one of the problems is because they're so short that it doesn't feel developed or and then doesn't pay off in a way where uh, it would in, in a show that has a longer run. Anyway, that's Loki. Uh, would I recommend it? <laughs> you know, if, if, fuck it. <laughs> if you have nothing better to do. Sure. Um, like, I, I watched it as a matter of, like, completionism because I've, I've seen all the Marvel Studios stuff so I'm like fuck I'm in this deep I might as well keep going but those three series are, are for the most part not particularly good. Uh, speaking of not particularly good it took 13 seasons and 6 seasons of All Stars but there was an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race this week that I basically had to turn off halfway through because I was like this Ooh. is so fucking boring Ooh. Christ almighty has Ru lost the magic it's the first episode that I didn't enjoy. Can you believe that? Because um, wow. one thing they do a lot on, on Drag Race is they do a segment where they'll do like a if if you you know like the um, the MTV Movie Awards they used to do like parody versions of like popular movies and mm. so they're do they were doing something like that where they do a, a campy version of American Horror Story. Um, and so they 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 do they their their characters which are references to the show and obviously it's it's very overacted and over exaggerated for like com- comedy. Um, but God, it was so boring. Uh, not funny. Performances were not good. The, the segment itself went on for like twenty five minutes. Oh, I couldn't take it. It was so bad. And I usually love those comedy set pieces that they do. And the irony is that this is a uh, season. All Stars season. It's not your usual season, which means they get all the people back from the previous seasons. But it felt like one of the first challenges of a regular season where you've not established that half of the cast can't act. You know? So these people have already done the original series and been brought back and they still can't act. And it's like, well, why were you brought back in the first place then? This is a complete waste of time. Anyway, bad episode. Hopefully we'll be back to form next time. Uh, and what was not bad was the the new Rick and Morty, which I, I very much enjoyed. Um, although those hell demons will probably have enjoyed that uh, Drag Race episode because it was painful, <laughs> which is pleasure. Yeah, I, I was cracking up during that that Rick and Morty episode. It was very funny when he was singing the Day Bomb Bomb song. It was great. Very good. Yeah, enjoyed that. That's all I watched. Uh, I don't really have any um, telly either, so I'll pass over to, to Joe. Yeah, I've also um, been watching some Rick and Morty, but actually season four, which I never got around to watching, and that's the most recent one on, on Netflix, so I'll just chuck that on. Um, 
I think I watched three episodes. Once I enjoyed them, there was one that was very meta about, I think it was something about de- a debate whether Rick and Morty should stick to like old school adventures or whether they should do the kind of meta stuff. Right. And it was also, it was meta about whether they should be meta. And I just found it a bit annoying. If I'm honest. <laughs> sure. Just they can like, struggle oh. that line sometimes. It was like, oh, okay, just, just do a thing where a man farts in a gun or something. I don't know. Just <laughs> <some stupid shit. laughs> I just want to laugh at a, yeah, some stupid shit. Anyway, so that was all right. And then there was one where everything, he kept going. Rick gets killed. And then they go to like the multiverse and everywhere's fascist that he's a lobster or something. That one was all right. So yeah, not bad, Rick and Morty. We'll get to season five eventually. And um, so that was good. But watched watched some very good uh, documentaries in the past week. So we finally started um, Ken Burns, who did famously did the the Vietnam War documentary, uh, World War. Uh, two documentary, Civil War documentary. He's also done one on the history of country music, which is a 10-part series that was on PBS. Um, each one's about 90 minutes to two hours long. Uh, so we watched the first episode of that, and it was uh, pure Ken Burns goodness. He goes into really, really kind of exquisite detail around the, the history of country music and, and how it kind of sits in Amer- in American culture more broadly, goes into kind of real detail about the people that, that started it and, and how it, you know, how it began and how it relates to kind of um, slave, you know, slaves or freed slaves and their music they brought from Africa and how that's combined with the kind of Irish, Welsh, British traditions of, of playing the fiddle and, and these kind of you know, songs from, from these islands that a lot of immigrants took over there and how that mixed together to form kind of country music and really, really interesting. So looking forward to getting through the, the uh, rest of those, but they're, they're always really fantastic documentaries. Absolute best of the best. Yeah. Country music's having a bit of a resurgence over here for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Long running Irish TV show, the late, late show. No, not the one with James Corden. Um, <laughs> well, not yet. They, they do like an annual country special which I mm. baffles me to no end. It's for, obviously for the mammies and the grannies. But um, they all come on and sing their oh, wagon wheel down, 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 sing their little songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the documentary is good anyway, yeah? I, mean, <laughs> I would be by no means a country fan. but uh, Yeah, really, really, really kind of interesting. Um, so the rest of that... Also watched, uh, it's a three-part series about, um, speaking of the Olympics, about kind of Britain at the Olympics over the last like, 10, 20 years, going from Atlanta, where we did really badly and got one gold medal, came like 37th in the, the medal table or something. And it, it they go into how that kind of sparked a bit of a revolution in, in how we treat sport and the lottery funding and all this stuff. And it kind of charts going to... London 2012 and how how kind of everything changed around. So it's really interesting. I love those kind of documentaries, especially about like recent history. That was kind of really interesting because you actually get all of the people that were there still alive to um, you know come along and give their perspectives. That was that was really interesting. And then finally started season two of the movies that made us, which is a Netflix series that kind of looks at the production of some classic uh, movies from your childhood, assuming your childhood was kind of in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And um, so in the first series, they did Dirty Dancing, Home Alone, Die Hard, yeah. uh, and one one other. 
And the first one in this series we watched was Forrest Gump, um, which is uh, obviously a really interesting story. I think, I don't know if just all movies have a really kind of potted history of how they came together because they're always just fighting against the studio and they're always struggling to get budget and it's always on the verge of going wrong and no one knows whether it was going to be a hit or not. I think maybe just most successful movies are like that. So they were able to kind of tell this story for all of them. But yeah, certainly a kind of interesting look about how uh, how a lot of elements of it weren't really planned. They just kind of come together. Um, I won't spoil too much because it's definitely worth a watch. But yeah, you start to see how it starts, movies like that start with some kind of core elements, but then it's really sort of happenstance that leads to a lot of the, the most memorable sort of performances and the bits in the movie so yeah that's really good so i look forward to, to watching the rest of those that's the old tv for the week there we go with teddy uh we can jump on then i guess to uh the movie off um i finally after starting it like i think last summer funnily enough uh i finished the our x-men rewatch um uh, myself and Brona. We wa- rewatched Dark Phoenix this week. Um, you will be shocked to learn it's bad. Still, still shit. Still pretty shit. In fact, I would say it is probably worse than uh, the initial viewing. I remembered watching it and kind of thinking, oh, kind of like Apocalypse. I was like, this is kind of just really boring and like not especially bad but it's not particularly good either but then i w- watched it back i was like no this this is actually bad this is actually quite quite bad um just a bunch of terrible performances no one cares um every line of dialogue is just saying the theme um uh it's just pretty bad really really terrible um so yeah no desire to, to watch that again uh yeah so uh, we finished the x-men rewatch I, I i ranked them all on the old letterbox no, i there's no real spicy takes in there i don't have you know the last stand at number one or anything um i did definitively put dark phoenix at the bottom i thought it was the worst uh second worst was x-men origins wolverine which i thought ha- it did have some so bad it's good comedy to it so i had to put that in there uh, X-Men Last Stand is 10 9 is Apocalypse 8 is The Wolverine 7 is X-Men 6 is Deadpool 5 is First Class 4 is X2 3 is Deadpool 2 2 is Days of Future Past and 1 is of course Logan the coldest take imaginable but it is it is easily far and away the best one mm-hmm. um, so yeah we watched that and then we went to the cinema to see for some reason because we again this was this was a case of just what's on uh we went to see the forever purge and um, which is the latest uh, of the 17 purge movies um about what if it were allowed to kill a man in america um so yeah this one as the title implies like they do like the purge in the first like 20 minutes and then it ends and our protagonist survived. Like, oh, that was easy. And then uh, a, a bunch of like uh, uh, yahoos decide actually we're going to purge forever now, um, mm. using yeah, you know, using that that exact term. So I talked a few weeks ago <laughs> about the um, the last movie, which was the first purge, which was not a very good movie, but it was a, it was a, a certainly an interesting one in, in that they kind of laid bare this like uh, this kind of origin story where it was kind of like okay some like real like 
fascists come to power in America and they come up with the idea of the purge, effectively just to to uh, allow legalized murdering of of, of poor people. Mm-hmm. And when they, you know, they've got the, the the one really good scene in that movie, which is which unfortunately does not live up to the potential of it, is is kind of like you've got these kind of old gray looking fat cats in suits and uh, what might as well have been a literal ivory tower going. Um, yeah, the poor's don't appear to be killing each other. Send in some cops and Nazis to agitate there, would you, so that the Browns start <laughs> killing each other a bit more? Um, uh, which was like, what the fuck? I couldn't believe that. Um, but it, that that whole that movie overall just wasn't that good. This one kind of goes in, in the kind of logical progression of that, where basically it's a bunch of you know uh, uh, some some kind of you know nationalists and things like that who want to you know purify the country. They basically decide, well, why stop at a day? We'll just we'll just do it all the time. And so the the protagonists effectively have to flee the country um, uh, and, and sort of flee America as as asylum seekers, effectively. Uh, and as that would imply, it is not a very subtle movie. Uh, none of them are. Um, it's very kind of uh, schlocky and cheesy, but in a way I kind of found fun in a way. It's so kind of unabashedly loud in what it's going for that I, I, I actually thought it was kind of charming and I thought the performances were pretty good. So I ended up actually coming out of it pretty happy. I, I think if anyone wants some kind of uh, uh, a blockbuster movie that's actually kind of straddling a little bit of like an exploitation film kind of line, which is effectively you know a, a non-existent genre anymore. I thought it, I thought it was actually pretty entertaining. Uh, not not a must see, but um, if you are looking for something uh, to watch, uh, I, I think it's not too bad. Um, it was also another horrific cinema experience for me, uh, of which there's been a lot since the cinemas reopened. Um, <laughs> Go on. I was trying to when we were in the car coming back, I was I said to Brona, I was like, have we had a non awful cinema experience since they came back? And funnily enough. <laughs> Black Widow was probably the least bad experience because everyone just kind of watched it. But everything else we've seen lately has been terrible. So uh, there's a fella in there, and I feel like I've been in a film with this exact fella before. I think he was there during Ford versus Ferrari. It was the same cinema I saw that in, and he sounded the same, and he was doing the exact same things. He was fully doing the... I don't think he said this exact thing, but he was fully doing the... Oh, he's behind you! Don't turn around! He's behind you! He was doing that shit atop of his lungs... Uh, the whole way through it. And especially because, like I said, Purge, very tropey, wacky, on-the-nose, super obvious uh, action horror splatfest film. So you can see most of what's going to happen about a mile away. And so he's te- and so he's saying that he knows what's going to happen. I'm like, oh, my God, you can't be serious. But right, right, he, <laughs> he, he was with a girl, right, who I think may have been his daughter or, or, or something like that, or maybe a younger sister. And he was talking nonsense, but she was going, shh, come on, stop doing that now. Stop. Wouldn't be, it was working, but she was doing that, right? She's like, shh, shh, stop. Oh, my God, everyone's looking. And then she, the sensible one, the shusher, took a phone call oh, God. during the film. I was like, are you the Joker? Are you the Joker? Because you are, you are, you are insane. <laughs> and, and not only, not only, like, it wasn't just some kind of oh I'm waiting on an urgent call my ma'am is in hospital or some shit she goes hello yeah hi who's this I was like you, so you don't even know who it is you're not even expecting a phone call how do you how do you how are you answering the phone oh my god um so eventually she hung up um also about a half hour into the film um 
a steward came in or whatever you would call them. <laughs> One of the girls who usually works the till but was told to go and do a checkup. She came I'm in. Not th- sure. I, I'm not sure, I guess, yeah. Um, now, she didn't catch them in the act of talking or taking the phone call, but they were, they were I guess they were a family, right? Because they had a couple, and I, I did think this was odd when they took their seats, they had a couple of, like, 10-year-old kids with them. And she came in, and she just said, and they didn't even protest, because they, what can you say? She just went up and said, you are obviously not supposed to be in here. Um, and we kind of heard from the conversation that I think they bought tickets to Black Widow, which, of course, they could get tickets to, and then just went with the rest of the family into the into Purge. It was just, oh, oh my God. God. Um, anyway, so that was funny uh, in hindsight, but it was pretty annoying at the time. Um, but yeah, that was my my uh, uh, that's that's my only films this week. I haven't haven't seen a whole lot. Um, but yeah, Forever Purge, not bad, not bad. Right, yeah, I have loads of films, so let's get through them. All right, um, all watched in the luxury of my own house, so there were no fucking kids sneaking in there was no man say apart from me going oh i know what's going to happen here um, <laughs> taking a phone call who is this yeah maybe that maybe someone else in the cinema was calling her to complain about your man <laughs> i know i'm trying what do you want fucking stop um yeah i i've experienced the old taking the phone call while you're in the cinema thing oh my god <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. um Okay, so let's talk about movies. So, first of all, since we're, we were on the topic very recently, we're talking about Black Widow, um, which I watched half of last night and then half of this morning. Oh, my God. Um, a film of two halves. Well, when you watch it that way, yeah, it is, yeah. Well, I watched, I watched the good half last night and I watched the bad half today. Um, where do you begin with Black Widow? Jesus. Um... So, we've we've all seen it now. So, listeners, if you haven't seen Black Widow, I don't know if we need to kind of limit ourselves in talking about it. I think we can be pretty open about what happens in the film. We, we, spoilers, we can spoil it. It's fucking, it's not very good. It's, it's the main no. spoiler. If you, if you still want to see it and you don't want to be spoiled, like, I don't really think being spoiled on it is really going to harm your enjoyment of it one way or the other anyway. Um... But anyway, we'll talk about Black Widow. So Black Widow is the not really prequel, but weirdly a film that they made now, or not now, but two years ago, let's say. But it's set before Civil War, before Infinity War. But like the film never really establishes where it's set. Again, it just assumes that you understand because the marketing is like it's set after Civil War. I don't think the film does a good job of establishing when it's actually happening. Um, but yes, it's it's set uh, in the immediacy after Civil War, starring Scarlett Johansson and um, uh, Rachel Weisz, who both snooze their way through it, and uh, Florence Pugh and David Harbour, who are both good in it. Uh, or at least they're good uh, with the, the material that they're given. I, I would almost say that they are not good in the way that a good performance elevates a movie they're they're more so good despite the movie <laughs> um in, in the sense that I, I i thought oh what a waste of a good florence pew performance this is where she's uh, doing s- marvel comedy which long listeners will know what we think of, of marvel comedy at this stage, yeah right? um there's n- there's not a huge amount of it in the first half of the movie which which i found like refreshing allowing for the bits that were like 
sisters squabbling. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of time, Marvel comedy is 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 kind of without context. It's just characters being quippy for the sake of aren't Marvel films fucking a fun time? But here it made sense in the context of the movie because it felt like two siblings, you know, needling each other. So that was fine. Mm-hmm. But then once you know David Harbour gets introduced, it's fucking off to the races. Uh, you and your fucking velvet, whatever. Is is it a guardian? Oh, she got my name wrong. You know, fucking nonsense. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, here's the here, my main takeaway from this movie is why do Russians sometimes speak in full, complex, scientific sentences when it suits, and then sometimes they're like, "I am simple man." From Rush. <laughs> with like broken English as if they've they, they struggle to speak English. Mm. I that that was maddening to me. I'm like, why why do sometimes they say ah and then sometimes they just say I am simple man, Russian man. Oh, uh, it's like no, you were speaking perfect English two seconds ago. Now you're doing the broken English to emphasize oh aren't I really Russian? <laughs> also, why do they like all have accents apart from Scarlett Johansson? Was that explained ever? Like, uh... I I know I know there's a precedence of she doesn't have an accent in the other movies, but then why does Florence Pugh, who's younger than her, have a really strong Russian accent, and why does David Harbour have a really strong Russian accent, and why does everyone have a Russian accent but she doesn't have one? I don't know, but I, yeah, I do wish they just leaned into it with the, with everyone the way they did with Johansson by just not bothering. That was also the single worst part of One Division was like that, like one episode where Elizabeth Olsen did a, a Russian accent, um, or I guess she's not strictly Russian, but you know, a Middle Eastern accent. Uh, when she confronts the military just outside the walls of the zone, like episode three or four or some shit like that, um, where she throws their drone back, I think this is yours. And it's like, what? why are you doing this? That's not, you don't talk like that in the other 90 hours this show has been running. Um, yeah, yeah, the accents were terrible anyway. In Black Widow. Um, but the accents were the least of the problems. I, like, I thought at its core, the film was like, okay, right? But there were individual issues or nitpicks that kind of lowered it for me uh, to the point where it was like less than the sum of its parts. I actually found overall the film to be perfectly watchable in, in a very kind of in a very generic sense. But uh, I thought like I had the issue like, OK, the Russian accent thing is, is a nitpick. I understand that the fucking CGI at some parts is cartoonishly bad. Um, there's a bit where she's like hanging from a helicopter and she swings onto like a catwalk on the flying building thing. Oh my God. It was like a fucking PlayStation game. It looks and like then a bit where she's running away from the fire. She run away from an explosion inside and it looked like ass. And there's a bit where Florence Pugh's character throws the like grenade with the gas, uh, vials attached to it. And it just looked like, um, Colorful Explosion 1 in your default Adobe Premiere settings. <laughs> and it just looked like it was superimposed onto the film rather than it happening inside you know, the world of the film. Oh my god, it was hot. It was like a Smackdown effect that they would have during someone's entrance or something. Um, yeah, big, big problems with that. Also, Scarlett Johansson's character, like the Black Widow, she's like fucking impervious to pain all of a sudden. She like takes a five-story fall lands like spine first on a like an air vent tumbles off that lands on on a dumpster and she just gets up and like brushes her shoulders off yeah go 
And like for all the complaints like Star Wars got about like Mary Sue uh for Ray, I was like, oh my god, this woman is just completely she's like Superman. She can't be harmed. Uh which makes the whole like why care about anything that happens in the movie then if you know that she can be fine. Also, she like falls however many thousand feet, right? And Taskmaster, she forces Taskmaster's like parachute to deploy. And two seconds later they hit the ground and she's fine. Like this, oh, this character is too invincible for me to like empathize with them on any level. Um, mm. So yeah, like lots and lots of problems. What else? I mean, yes, I mean the whole final, the CGI stuff. The whole final act looks horrific. I mean, the whole climactic thing when they well, when the, they go to but, Ray Winston's spaceship. Yeah, and it's completely at odds with the tone of what is otherwise a very like serious movie in parts like it, it's like part cgi nightmare part marvel comedy and part like family drama and none of those parts work seamlessly together yeah uh, and as you said especially the moment where they're like uh we're, we're going to land in a second but how you are going up oh is space land <laughs> you know and then, yeah, and, and then what follows is 25 minutes of constant explosions and glass shattering and no characters being hurt in any meaningful ways. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and like I said, for a movie that is basically about, you know, children being trafficked, which, by the way, don't fucking show this movie to Drake. Uh, he will not enjoy it. Um yeah, and basically for the for the themes that it brings up about you know child soldiers and uh, not having a family and that that like it, it it didn't really need the Marvel comedy treatment. But anyway, Black Widow, uh, I ranked it in my overall Marvel rankings at number twenty two out of twenty four, uh, just above Hulk and Thor two. Um. Like I don't think it's is necessarily substantially worse than the kind of Captain Marvels or Ant Man twos of the world, but it's definitely of that level. I would say. Um, much more quickly, we'll get on to uh, a new film because I'm not. I don't really want to spoil much about it. New film called Pig. Ah, have you guys heard of this? No. Yes. You you might have heard. Well, Red Letter Media did a a, a video about it just today or yesterday. But I, I, it had been raised to me prior to their video coming out. My brother saw and said, yeah, got to check out this pig film. So it's a film called Pig. Stars Nicolas Cage. So you might be already casting aspersions in your mind. What kind of film is this going to be? Uh, what I would say is watch it. Go in blind. As blind as you can. And... Uh, yeah, when when I when I finished watching it, I didn't even know what to write in my letterbox review. <laughs> I didn't know what to write. It's it's a film that is constantly, uh, constantly playing with your expectations, um, in a good way. Uh, it's a very, um, serious film. It's 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 not Nicolas Cage uh, screaming and beating up uh, people in like clown costumes or anything like that or pig now uh nor is it the john wick movie you might expect it to be it is a very um very personal film very um 
very unusual film, but not in the sense of like a, a Korean style or like a 12 month. It's not unusual in the sense of it being like fantastic or anything, but just it, it's a movie that does not walk the well-worn path. And I thought it was very, very good. So big, big recommendation to Pig. I'll say no more about it. I, I started watching the Red Letter Media video they put out and I stopped watching four minutes in and I was like, I'm just going to watch this movie because I, I don't want to know anything about it. And even in that Red Letter Media video, they say they're not going to spoil it at all. Uh, but I, I still think their video contains more information that I, than I would want to have going you see it. I very much enjoyed coming into it, not knowing where, where it all was going to go. And then there were kind of elements of, of noir to it, in a sense. There were elements of like secret underground societies, which I'm you know fascinated by anyway. Lots and lots of good stuff to it. Um, and at the core, a great Nicolas Cage performance. One of the good Nicolas Cage performances that he kind of brings out every 10 years. Uh, yeah, big, big thumbs up on that. And then finally, I did a uh, Clint Eastwood week uh, here at home, uh, which started by watching Unforgiven, which was one of my charity shop pickups uh, yes. yeah. from a few weeks ago. And then the next day, I watched Gran Torino, which is also a DVD I bought in a charity shop. And then I figured, look, it's it's Tuesday. I've watched two Clint Eastwood films. I should probably finish the week off by watching um, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and the other two, Sergio Leone. Uh, Clint Eastwood films, the the Dollars trilogy or the Man with No Name trilogy, as it's also called. So I watched five Clint Eastwood films in a row. Nice. Uh, we start with Unforgiven. Unforgiven is a 1992 uh, western. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, stars Clint himself. Morgan Freeman is in it. Um, who else? Oh, it's, it's all starting to blur together now because uh, I've watched so many westerns. <laughs> I actually. Um, but come Friday, I was actually thinking about the first of the Dollars trilogy, and I was mixing mixing it up with stuff that happens in Unforgiven. Um, it's who else is in Unforgiven? It's uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, who's fucking great in it, and Richard Harris, who's really great in it, but he's really only kind of in the first half of the movie, then he disappears from it. Um, yeah, I thought Unforgiven is really, really good. Um, good, and it was kind of Clint closing the the book on his his Western uh, film history. But um, yeah, big, big, big thumbs up. It was actually directed by Clint himself as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, a movie that I constantly want to call Tombstone, even though I know Tombstone is a different Western <laughs> movie. Uh, I don't even know if Clint is in Tombstone. Um, have a quick look. Uh, no, it's Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell and Michael Bean from uh, Terminator. That's one that I might maybe we'll need to check out next. But I don't own Tombstone on DVD, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Unforgiven, big, big thumbs up. Um, it's a very uh, kind of anti-hero story. Uh, Clint Eastwood, who's like the hero, ostensibly of the film, he's, 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 he's not so much your, uh, your John Cena as your Steve Austin, uh, albeit a much older Steve Austin, and uh, himself and Morgan Freeman take on this, uh, this, this uh, assassination. Um, as their former assassins, and they, they, I won't say any more than that. But I thought it was very, very good. Uh, slightly less good was Gran Torino, which I said to somebody that it reminded me a lot of Shallow Hal in a way. What? And what I meant by that is, like Shallow Hal, it has a kind of 
a noble, good-hearted idea at the core of it, but the way it goes about it is a little bit misguided. That's what I meant, right? And they said that I was like um, Elon Musk saying Loki was a bit like Rick and Morty. <laughs> or Boss Baby vibes. Yeah, I was accused of, of being the Boss Baby meme. But what I meant was, like, as I said the other week, Shallow Hal is a movie where it's apparently about, well, looks aren't important. It's what's inside that counts. But then the movie is like, fat people are hippos, you know? So it's like, well, well what are you? And Gran Torino is a movie about a crusty old white man who has, like, Asian neighbors. And he's he's a, he's set in his ways. He's an old racist man. He fought in the Vietnam War and uses, you know, racial slurs and ah, stacking them bodies high. And then by the end, oh, people of all nations and creeds are good, right? But then the film has, like, racial slur every two seconds and a scene where Clint, old white man, waves a gun at a black man's face. So I'm like, okay, the way you're telling this story is in a very weirdly unsettling way. Uh, and that's what I meant. Gran Torino, I know, is like, it's fine. Clint's good in it. Um, one major problem I had with it, in pure storytelling ways, right? There, there are other ways you can have problems with this is that, the, okay, the film uses rape as a storyline beat, right? Which, however, whatever way you feel about it, I don't want to, you know, be on the record for saying that rape is acceptable in any way, but, you know, when you're. Whatever story you're telling, as long as it's treated with um, seriousness and the importance that you know obviously needs, you know whatever story you're telling, you tell your story. But here you have uh, one of the lead characters who who builds that initial relationship with with Clint Eastwood. It's, it's Clint Eastwood and this this Asian lady. Uh, towards the end of the film, she gets raped, and then. She like is never seen again, basically, apart from one very, very small scene. Um, you never see, you know, the reaction actually to her well-being or anything like that. It only serves for Clint to go and fucking shoot at people, mm. more or less. He doesn't actually shoot at people, but it, it only serves the purpose for Clint and the other fellas to go and do their, you know, story. It, it the, the the film basically. Uh, basically has the mindset of this character has served their purpose now. Forget about them. We're moving on to the next right. thing. Which felt yeah. really like a... Even, in, like I say, in pure storytelling terms, felt like it, it it did a huge disservice to this character who up until that point was one of the lead characters. Um, So I had problems with Gran Torino. I think... Um, I think it was a, at the same time a bit on the nose and a bit obvious in what I was doing. Um, performances were, were pretty much fine in it. Um, but I thought, yeah, towards the end, I, I had more and more problems with it. And definitely the weakest of the five films I watched. And then finally, I watched those three Sergio Leone films, uh, Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which was one of the first Blu-rays I bought when I lived in France like a decade ago, when we started doing this podcast. Um, so I have a French DVD, which is Le Bon, La Brute et Le Truand which is the name of it. Um, so it was nice to finally watch that and finally relieve myself of the guilt of owning this Blu-ray for a decade and never watching it. Um, but those three movies are real good. Uh, what I would liken them to, and don't fucking give me that boss baby shit again, <laughs> okay? <laughs> is um, uh, the first movie is like 
Mad Max. The second one is like Road Warrior compared to Mad Max, where it like really steps up the the quality of the film quite substantially. And then Good, Bad, and Ugly is like your Fury Road, where it's fucking okay. We're fucking nailing it now. Now, fucking great movie. Um, the real star of these three movies is the uh, score. Uh, Ennio Morricone's music is you know you know when p- fucking wanky people say well the fucking the setting was a character itself <laughs> um i wouldn't say that but like the mu- I, I haven't seen a movie or series of movies where the music has been as important to the overall enjoyment as it is with these three movies people obviously know the like the good the bad the ugly theme the ecstasy of gold um but all three movies have these like great western scores that obviously he like fucking created um and uh they're they're great the first one is uh fistful of dollars is a bit simple um while it's good it doesn't really stand out as being anything other than a very solid western uh for uh, for a few dollars more is a really really good um western which almost has like elements of horror to it which really works very well like the the villain i don't know the actor's name but he's fucking great in it he has this like pocket watch that he took from uh, a dead man who's and here here's here's where it does it better than Gran Torino. The villain, right, has this pocket watch that he took from a dead man whose wife he then raped, right? And the wife then killed herself. And this character lives with the guilt of what he did, even though he's the villain. He lives with the guilt of what he did. So he carries this pocket watch with him to this day and smokes this whatever compound he smokes to like um, to like dumben the memory he has of what he committed. Right. So you have this villain who's like very complex. Like obviously the things he did are very bad, but he's not just a villain who's you know Mister Evil stroking the mustache. Right. Oh, I'm so evil. No, the villain has like complexities to him that that um, work really well. And then the horror aspect is that when he's doing like the shootout with people, he opens the pocket watch like a musical pocket watch, and it plays this music that could be straight out of like halloween or something it's crazy scary music or like unsettling music it's not scary i guess in a sense like the music didn't scare me but it had like an unsettling music like a music box uh, sound and then when the music stops that's when they do the shootout really really effective great great stuff and then like good the bad yogi is fucking great it's three hours long though and my, my one criticism of it was uh from like the second two to like two and a half hours, there's one scene in there that maybe drags a little bit long. But apart from that, it's really, really great. Um, I took it obviously an age to watch it. I think it's in like the top 10 of the IMDb. Yeah. 250. Good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, absolutely worthy of its of its uh, position as like one of the best Westerns of all time. Uh, even if it's like really long. Um, but like the music's excellent. The the cast are great. Uh, Levan Cleese, and he's also in the previous one. Um, and I, I forget the name of the guy who plays the ugly, but he's really great in it as well. So yeah, that's all the films I watched. Sorry, I went on forever, but like, fuck, I watched so many movies. Seven movies. You had a lot in there. Yeah, those movies are all really good. Uh, the first one, like I said, is a bit eh, but the other two are really strong. So watch them if you get a chance. And even though they're a trilogy, they don't actually follow on from each other, so you can just watch Good and the Bad and the Ugly if you, if you want. Forego the other two, but I would watch for a few dollars more. I think it was really good. Alrighty. Uh, we can uh, move on then to the game, Guff, I believe. Yeah, tell us about your twitching. 
Well, you know, not too much. I mean, not too much news um, uh, game wise there because I'm still saying, playing the same two Bloodborne on Wednesday. Got to a place called Old Yarnum, which is almost like this kind of, a, I guess, this kind of abandoned city beyond the, the the church gates of the city you start in, and it's all it's like it, the whole game is gothic, but it's like gothic on gothic. It's all just pointed spires on pointed spires and gates and and statues right. of crying angels weeping over dead bodies. It looks fucking incredible. The whole the, that design of the game is unbelievable. I mean, it's incredible looking. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, um, slow and steady progress on that. Uh, I, I, I I beat the boss, uh, Father Gascoigne, within about 20 minutes of starting the stream, which is way, quick, right. way quicker than I was expecting. Um, and, and, and in true fashion, um, I got to the next area and then I kept getting tripped up by regular enemies and making stupid decisions and going the wrong way. And, you know, that all the classics, all the classics. So um, And how, how are you getting on with, with it, generally speaking? Like, this, is this, you, you played a little bit before... Yeah, I played. Like, what, what would your review in progress be of it so far? I, well, I mean, my review in progress would be that it's that it is excellent. I mean, it feels tremendous to play. The world is amazing. I mean, it looks phenomenal. It sounds tremendous. It sounds scary. It's not really a horror game, but it kind of is. It's got like a horror aesthetic, and it is le- legitimately unsettling. Uh, there is so much because uh, it's like you know you've got like two attack buttons and a, and you can you know shoot your gun to do a parry. You don't actually have a block at all. And you have your dodge, but it's just like they they get so much out of those fairly basic uh, commands because the enemy movement and the 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 many many different types of enemies and and their different patterns and how they mix them up and that plus the environment there's just a lot to consider. You you do have to be actively thinking about a lot. Like you're constantly aware of your stamina bar. You're constantly aware of your surroundings. You can easily fall off ledges and, and suffer fall damage. Enemies will absolutely pop out of from behind you and stuff like that. It's just, it's, it is really fantastic. My reservations are still, I mean, I do think to myself, I'm just like, how do people play this game not with a stream chat telling them where to go, not watching YouTube tutorials? And that's always kind of been the buffer for me with, with these from games. It's just like I have no interest. You know, again, now obviously I'm streaming it, so I, I have that kind of encouragement. But if I was on my own, I just I, I never really have the desire to say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go on a message board thread and I'll talk to some people. But I actually don't know where I'm supposed to go. Oh, what does this item do? I don't really know. The game doesn't really tell me. I still don't really have a lot of patience for that stuff. Uh, right. I, I still think it's, it's a little bit obtuse in the way it does its things, even though Bloodborne is less so compared to some of the other ones. But um, but generally speaking, I am really loving it. Um, but it's you know it is a pay attention game. It is a game you can't really you can't really play half heartedly, which then also makes it really tough to stream and play. Um, so so the streaming aspect of it is a double edged sword in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, we had Mario well, Sunshine. I only ask because I my only experience is Dark Souls, which I played for like an hour and just didn't get on with at all. So I've always been a bit reluctant to dive into any of those from software games yeah i i i think the thing is just um uh go in go into it like you know like you know death is fine whatever you die you figure it out um you know my my thing is just get to grips with the basics and again i'm a couple of hours into one of these games i'm not gonna act like i know i know them in and out but i i do think when i played it initially when it came out i don't think i really gave it a fair shake um and just sort of realize that okay, the different types of strike you can do. It's not like just to pick an example of something made God of War, where it doesn't really matter what you do. Certain enemies, yeah, you have to fucking throw a thing at them to open them up first. But generally speaking, you can just 
the combination of buttons you hammer out with your axe and gun, which doesn't really matter which one you do, you know. Uh, whereas in whereas in these games, it is kind of like no, you want to use your area of effect kind of clear sweeping move to give yourself space. You want to okay, now that's done. Now you want to use your close range attack. You have you, you have to. It's it, 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 it requires more thought, um, which is which is the main thing. So I, I would I would say give it a, give it another go if you're interested, but. Um, but yeah, and then I played uh, uh, Mario Sunshine again on Thursday, which uh, if people want to go check out, you can see me play like the worst level in the entire game so far, um, which is trying to get up to the power source for the Ferris wheel in the amusement park. Uh, oh, baby, I, that was incredibly annoying. Um, I was getting, it was get, I was, I did that towards the end of the stream, and as well, I was like, oh, I don't want to fucking end this without actually finishing this level, but I'm getting very close to doing that, um, because <laughs> it was incredibly annoying. But I mean, the, the story of Mario Sunshine is something similar as well, which is that I'm, I think I am coming out of it more positive on it than I was expecting. Um, I still think it is a mostly pretty fun game to play, um, uh, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. So uh, yeah, I, I have not been. I have not had a lot of off-air gaming time um, uh, in the last few weeks. I, I did buy Disco Elysium in the sale, the PlayStation sale, um, but I haven't played it yet. Uh, and I know that's a big game, so I kind of want to. I want to wait until I'm finished some other stuff before I play that. But yeah, right. Um, so I'm still playing Paper Mario Color Splash. Played another, I don't know, two hours of that maybe. Ah, oh, there was one bit of it where I felt like. As playing fucking Bloodborne or something because, or or Mario Sunshine because there is one bit in it that doesn't fucking explain you what you're supposed to do, <laughs> but like to a ridiculous degree. So there's this boss, right? Uh, second boss of the game or the boss of the second world. Uh, so you're battling him, you're battling him, and eventually you can't beat him, right? You're like what the fuck? So what you're supposed to do is you do the let you do. The level, you actually half the level, right? You fight the boss. You're supposed to then like flee, which is an option you never really use in the game. You only use if you like run out of cards to use. So you're supposed to flee and then do the second half of the level and then get the item that you can beat the boss with. But it never explains this to you. Like I had to look it up to see like what what am I stuck at here? Um so that's very, very annoying. Um and that's something that I think is true of those later paper mario games obviously i didn't play any of the switch ones so i don't have the case of that one but definitely um the 3ds would at this wii u one sometimes it just to beat the boss you just need to have this specific item and you don't find out until you try and beat the boss and even then it's very obscure um we're not obscure but it's very obtuse like you need the bone item to beat the boss i'm like how the fuck am i supposed to know that um so i'm i'm like a third of the way through that game now um, like I said, very slow paced, very obtuse. It's fine. Uh, I'm not loving it, but I'm also not hating it. But I just want to have it fucking finished. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna play it as quick as I can. Um, I also dip my toe in a little bit into the old 3DS emulation. Oh, okay. I've never tried before. Never tried before. Um, now for in the purposes or interest of self preservation, I just want to make everybody know that the game that I emulated, I do own. Uh-huh. Uh, I own a physical copy of Ocarina of Time 3D. So don't come at me. I own this game. I paid money for it. 
Um, but I don't know how I came across the concept of, of emulation for 3DS. I've really only ever emulated up to like Nintendo 64. Uh, and I got really into like modding Nintendo 64 games for a while on emulator. Obviously, I bought the uh, the EverDrive as well. Oh, I yeah, that about, thing, yeah. A, a while ago about um, playing like ROM hacks of games. Like, I love all that shit, right? Uh, oh, I know what it was. I was watching a, um, I was watching someone on YouTube do a a uh, randomizer run of Ocarina of Time, and what that basically does is all the items in the game that you get from like treasure chests. It re it completely randomizes the order in which which item appears in which chest. So it, it the people who have beaten the game ten times gives them like a new experience of figuring out. Okay, well I've got this item early i don't have yet the item i need to do the early dungeon but i got this item so i can do play the game in a different order basically um but yeah i got i i I downloaded a 3ds emulator it's called uh citra citra nightly and uh the website where you download it obviously says don't steal games don't use this for stolen games but it, it has a pretty good um tutorial about how to like dump the game file from your physical copy and use them. So if you're interested in it, their website's pretty good for that. Um, but yeah, I was playing Ocarina of Time 3D, and what I found was I don't know if my laptop has particularly good video card or anything like that, but what I found was I could run the game at three times native resolution. So for 3DS, I'm not sure if the the, the native resolution is like 360p maybe, because the 3DS screen is pretty small, right? It wasn't like a switch screen. Um, but I could run that at 720p, and it upscaled really well. Um, okay. As you upscale the the resolution, it doesn't just like blow the image up and look kind of blockier or blurrier. It actually, I don't know whether it uses AI to smoothen out the textures or what, but it looks really good at three-time native resolution. So I was playing Ocarina of Time 3D, which is not a HD game. 3DS doesn't have HD games per se, but I was running it at 720p. Which is the equivalent of like a a switch game on in in handheld mode. I thought it looked fucking bloody good. So um, I don't know about streaming. If I'm ever going to stream, uh, I don't know if I necessarily have the fan base for it, or if I just do it for my own enjoyment. Um, but maybe even potentially what I what I could do is rather than streaming is just do record just record myself playing it and and upload it maybe to to a YouTube channel or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people would be interested to see me play Ocarina of Time. It's a game that I beat already, you know, recently enough. But um, playing it, a, a really nice looking version of it with a PlayStation Four controller is is an interesting uh, proposition. Because I I I didn't beat the uh, 3DS version, funny enough. I beat the N64 version, which is missing a lot of the quality of life uh, improvements that come with the 3DS version. But uh, yeah, really cool to emulate and runs way better than I thought it would. So, um, big thumbs up on that. Obviously, I've been Ocarina of Time fucking 10 times at this stage. Mm. But it's a fun game. And also, finally, I uh, I took a loan of the Brothers PS VR headset. Ah. And I've been playing a bit of Trover Saves the Universe. Oh, the, uh, right. Yeah. The Justin, the Justin Roiland, Roiland uh, Rick and Morty style uh, 3D virtual reality platformer. Oh, but it's really funny. Really? Really funny. Yeah, I was laughing. I was laughing as I was playing. Um, I, 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 I played it to make of it based on the trailers and things. I was like, yeah, that might be funny or might be really annoying. 
It's very funny. It's very funny. Um, like gameplay wise, it's pretty simple. I think it's similar enough to your like Astrobot or your Moss. It's that kind of like your your viewpoint is the camera and you're controlling the character running around the world. Um, but it even kind of subverts that in a comedic way. Um, yeah, so I played it for maybe two hours so far. I'm not I'm not very far in it, but uh, I thought I found it very very funny. And even like play gameplay wise, it's fun to play as well. But um, yeah, I don't want to spoil any of the, the the funny parts because part of the like humor is the surprise of it. But uh, it's I found it very very funny. Um, and also the 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 game itself looks really nice in in VR, which is doesn't hurt either. Um, not quite as nice as Astrobot. Not quite as you know revolutionary as Astro Astrobot. But I thought it was very fun and. Uh, Hopefully it'll continue to be as I as I beat it. Uh, and also, what I did with the VR is I lo- I watched some VR videos of people on roller coasters because I'm too afraid to go on them. So it was nice to uh, experience that through the lens of VR and reinforced my uh, my feeling of that roller coasters are too scary for me <laughs> because even in VR I was I was spooked of them. The bits where it went really high and I didn't like it. So you're enjoying it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I might, I might give that a look. I, I'm, I haven't, I actually haven't dusted off the old VR in a while. To be fair, there's not a lot to dust off. My original idea was to dust it off to play that Rogue, uh, not Rogue Squadron, Star Wars Squadrons that came out on yeah. PS Plus a few weeks ago, last yeah, a month, month, ago, month yeah. before. But I just never got around to. It. I was playing that other game instead. You know what's all right as well? I never finished it because I was having too much issues with the PSVR, but uh, the Rick and Morty game on there is pretty fun. Um, yeah, oh, there, uh, there, there is an actual Rick and oh, Morty oh, there's, game. Yeah, yeah, there's an actual. So it's made by, I think it's made by the same people who make who, who made Job Simulator, which is like one of the go-to VR games. It's kind of a, right. it's a wacky game where you go to an office and it's got a lot of funny interactions. So they made a Rick and Morty version of that where you're, you're pottering around the... Um, uh, the garage and there's oh there's a Mises box and it, it it imitates your actions and so you can and if you pull off the headset on of yourself it rips its head off and it's funny it's yeah. it's it's got it's it's funny and and there are some missions then where you oh you, oh Rick pulls you into a portal and now you're doing a shooting um, gallery mini game on a farm it's good it's it's cool you know it's it's yeah. like a lot of VR stuff it's not super deep but you know it's 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 fun enough so if you so if you've got that in the house I'd say that's worth a go. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I like about Traverse State of the Universe, to be fair, <laughs> without being too negative, is that it's, it's not Rick and Morty. So it, 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 on, one, on one hand, it, it, it can be funny, similar to Rick and Morty, but it also doesn't have to lean into the Rick and Morty established tropes. You know, it can be its own thing. But that Rick and Morty thing does sound uh, interesting. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about that. I never finished because I, I never finished. I'm waiting for them to put it on the old, the old Questeroo, but I don't think they will. Right. Uh, anyway. Uh, any other games this week for yourself? No. Uh, alrighty. Uh, with all that, I suppose we can jump then into the wrestling golf. We got a lot of wrestling stuff actually happening here. Uh, no one watched the Money in the Bank, guys. Uh, was that last week? That was last was week, two. yeah. Oh, okay. No, I didn't watch that. Okay. Uh, I watched it. It was all right. We don't, we won't, we don't have to talk about it, but... Um, <laughs> 
Um, well, what was what, what was good at it? Uh, the men's the men's ladder match was like one of the best Money in the Banks they've done in a while, and I've, I've I ha- I haven't really cared about any of them for the last couple. of years. Obviously, last year's was atrocious, but even before that, I I, I thought they they're all kind of just eh, you know, they just do a bunch of contrived spots, kind of boring. Right. Uh, but no, this year was good. Lots of action, very innovative. Ricochet did uh, a spectacular dive. Kevin Owens even killed himself. Big E won, which is a great moment. One of those titles where WWE gets it right and they let the moment kind of sink in. They had the commentators kind of go quiet and they left the camera on him. It was it was really good. It was really good. Uh, the rest of the show, uh, main event, I, I thought was really super boring. Uh, Roman Reigns and Edge had a very... Very boring half-hour match where they, they didn't do anything until a bunch of near-falls and uh, run-ins. Uh, the worst ref bump of all time happened also in that match. Uh, so that was so. But the rest of the card was fine. Uh, Rhea versus Charlotte was actually pretty good. Um, the women's ladder match wasn't great, but it was okay. Um, and yeah, it was fine. I, 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 I didn't come away from it thinking, oh my god, WWE, they continue to be the worst. I was like, yeah, you know. Some interesting winners. John Cena returned, got a huge pop. That was nice. Um, yeah, I'm not super compelled by by him versus Roman. I mean, I'll probably watch SummerSlam, but I'm not into that. I'm not really into the Roman thing. I think I think it's pretty boring, uh, to be honest. Every time I watch it, I watched SmackDown last week for for the first time in a while, and I was just like, yeah, you know, he comes out, talks about how he's he's the man. They acknowledge him and all that, and then and then has a pretty boring match every every time I check out the show. Uh, but yeah, we will uh, we will leave that there. Uh, before we talk about dynamite, I suppose it's probably worth talking about the news, the rumblings, uh, <sighs> the whispers that uh, one Brian Danielson and one Charles Montgomery Punk are allegedly dynamite bound. Obviously, Brian's been on the. Uh, uh, the, the the missing list for a number of uh, of months. He his contract ran out with WWE. He's been very quiet. He hasn't shown up anywhere else. Story came out that uh, video game and merchandising people in WWE have been told, listen, just don't don't factor him in. He's not coming here. Um, and then uh, reports came out. Some one person's claiming that he's absolutely already signed. Other people are saying they haven't heard that, but that he's likely to go there. Uh, so what are we supposed to go one at a time? What do you think about 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 Brian Danielson going to AEW if that were to happen? I go first. Yeah. Uh, fuck yeah. That's <laughs> where he belongs. I think it would be a fantastic third act to his career after the sort of ten years on on the Indies and in Ring of Honor, ten years in WWE, which was. Uh, fantastic at times, but obviously a bit of a struggle at times as well, given you know what goes on in that company. But yeah, I think the next, I mean, maybe not 10 years because he's 40 now, but the next sort of several years uh, in AEW, New Japan and doing other kind of cool shit would be just phenomenal. And he's still young enough. He's only 40. I mean, he can he can still go, uh, I'm sure, with the, with the best of them. And her, It's not going to be a nostalgia run in the same way that I think the punk, punk run will be. I don't think punk can come back for five years. Because I think it will be, he's he's kind of in return energy will burn out pretty quickly. Whereas I think Brian could go for several years and just have great matches and be be a great part of the roster. And this, you just think of the matches they could have, it's phenomenal. So yeah, I completely forgotten about him to be honest after he sort of retired or did the the loser leaves town match or whatever with Roman. I completely forgot about Brian. But then yeah, this news is 
is incredibly exciting. Yeah, on one hand, I I feel like they're bringing a lot of people in the last few weeks. Yeah, but, yes. uh, Andrade, JR still can't say his name. Tamanga, uh, <laughs> whatever the fuck you call himself. Um, you have uh, Mark Henry being signed, Christian Cage, Paul White. A lot of debuts lately. I think the good thing about these two is that unlike your your Malachi Black and your Andrade El Idolo, is that they're not coming in to necessarily be rebuilt or rebooted in any way. They're just going to come in and straight off the bat be Brian Danielson and CM Punk. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be a continuation character. Whereas with Andrade coming in and, and Malachi Black, it felt a little bit like they were they were being introduced and starting from zero in a sense. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm I I must say I'm more excited about Danielson than Punk. I think uh, the 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 bloom is off the rose a little bit with Punk. Well, yeah, um, that was going to be my question because that's why I wanted to do them separately because I was kind of like Punk is mm-hmm. they are very much two different even though they're getting lumped into one conversation they two very different beasts I think. Um, I mostly I, I mean I, I mostly agree with Joe on, on what he said on his on his his uh, Danielson thing there. Oh well, so do I. Hundred yeah. percent. Punk is more like a Gold Goldberg or a, a Rock or a Lesnar or whoever you want to compare it to. I think he'll come back and it will be huge. It will be huge. Uh, he'll do a match or two, which I think will be huge. After that, I'd kind of question, you know, do you want him there every week? Because I think that would get old pretty quickly. But I could see him kind of coming in and out, doing the odds sort of big, big story. But yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't even mean that the Bloom's off the rose with his, like, MMA run, although I obviously don't think that it helped his cause being kind of the laughing stock of the sports world. But just that he's been gone for so long. Um and there's been so many years of will will he come back this year? Will he come back this year? Will he come back this year? Um the fact that he he's finally potentially gonna come back, uh it, it almost feels like three years past it's best by date you know um like what age is he now he must be he's like 44 45 i think um but see i i almost had the i i think i honestly had the inverse take that you had there because i i was actually i don't know why i was just thinking about him for some reason there like a couple of like uh, like two weeks ago uh not like that um um but before uh, before obviously uh, Sean Rossap broke that broke that story and I was just thinking to myself I was like you know what because it's been so long that now would be the funniest time for him to come out of the crowd at an AEW show because people would legitimately now now obviously everyone's thinking and expecting it but but like if if he, if he did it 2 weeks ago it would arguably be the best time because people have finally stopped asking, hey, are you, you going to go to AEW? Hey, Tony Khan, are you going to sign CM Punk? Like, they've finally given up on that, which, in a, but I think in a way that makes it the best time. Because my thing is, even though he's been gone ages, he's been a little bit of a surly bastard more than usual his entire time off. <laughs> he embarrassed himself in another sport. And he further embarrassed himself in a shitty studio show that no, that no one remembers. Um, that I mean, that took the bloom off the rose. But, but I think all of that said, all of that said, and all that being true, I don't even disagree with it. He's still CM Punk, and I think it would not matter a blind bit of difference um, at the end of the day if 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 Hangman Page beats Kenny Omega at All Out, and then 
someone in a hoodie comes out of the crowd and gives him a GTS and pulls the hoodie off. I mean, it'll be the biggest, it'll be the biggest pop for the last 15 years. It's Matt Cardona again. Again. Damn it, Matt, get out of here. Um, yeah, big lobster looking. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's now, I think it would still be cool. I would still be excited for it. I think he would still also be incredibly over. I think at the end of the day, it's not going to make a, a, a no one's going to care about, about, Fox backstage when he when he comes out, but I do I do wonder about you know, obviously he talked about what bad condition he was in when he left WWE. It's like yeah he was pretty banged up and now he's seven years older. I do wonder what I, I realize physicality was never his strength anyway. He was never Will Osprey or Ricochet. That was never his thing. But now you know he is the, the clock has been ticking and he also took a battering in MMA you know as well. So. Um, who who knows physically if he'll still be able to do it? But I think that's more of a a mystery than a than a definitely won't happen. We will see. I we mean, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't deny that him coming out, especially in Chicago, is going to be a big deal. But I don't know. Danielson feels like there's there's more juice in the tank there to me. But then, and then Danielson has he he's so versatile. Like if you bring Punk in, Punk kind of has to be a top guy. Danielson can move up and down the card at at, at your leisure, you know. Um, anyway, so the room the rumor, I, I I'm not sure if I believe this, but 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 you know it's alleged Danielson is 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 being planned for for the Arthur Ashe show in New York in September. But you know, we'll see. And then Punk, yeah, you know, and so Punk hasn't signed a deal. I mean, I mean. The, the Fightful story was basically that they'd all heard he is looking to come back to wrestling and that people close to him think AEW will be the spot. And people in WWE apparently also think that, that AEW will be the spot. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was the big scandal from the week. We then also had a, an okay episode of Dynamite. I didn't love Dynamite this week. Um, what did you guys make no. of it? <laughs> It was alright. What happened? Um, I I think I liked it maybe a bit more than you, Barry. But I agree there was there was some stuff in it. I mean, one of the things we were talking about in, in the week was there was a, a pride and powerful uh, press conference with, with FDR that was absolutely butchered, and I thought the butcher was off injured. <laughs> he was back to chop up this this promo and then they put it out on their twitter or youtube or whatever like here's the uncut version and it was like three minutes long you couldn't get the three minute video package in you had to have that 10 minute doc gallows match earlier on um so that that, that came off a bit shambolic to be honest actually um, and that's that's <laughs> that's actually yeah because you mentioned doc gallows i was like that's part of why this wasn't that good an episode this was like a heavily promoted show fighter fest night two and yeah, it did have like two big matches on it, but then it also had like Doc Gallows uh, having a, a lengthy singles match, which was super boring. And like, I, I know they're giving him a little shot, but like, oh, another Wheeler Utah TV match. Fine. Like, he seems like a talented guy they're high on, but it's like, it may, it, it, and then Orange Cassidy versus the, the Blade. A lot of this was like, this is, the, I, I feel like some of this, uh, I, I Cut two of these matches and put them on a different week. Having three of these matches in the middle of the card made it feel like, oh, this is not this is not an important show to be watching. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like Blade Orange Cassie has been kind of built to like the match itself was was okay, I guess. Darby Allen Wheeler Yuta definitely felt like it could have been cut. 
Um, so obviously they would have Derby on TV, but the match itself was kind of nothing. Uh, and Doc Doc Gallows got I love I love a bit of the big LG, but uh, as soon as he gets into the ring, he is ooh he's a, a lumbering fool, <laughs> not a good wrestler. And Frankie Kazarian, right? Remember Frankie Kazarian is the elite hunter. It loses to, loses to that, the, the worst member of the league. Yeah, I, and I actually kind of thought prior to that match, I thought they'd been doing a solid job with, with the, more so than uh, Yoshitatsu, the, 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 the bullet club hunter in Japan, who was like a, the, right. an absolute fucking jabron who got de- demolished <laughs> at every... It's like Kazarian's shown up multiple times with, to, to foil their plans and put them through tables and fuck them up. He's like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Like, you know, you're not going to like push Frankie Kazarian, but he can, he, can, he, can, he can beat up Doc Gallows and get a bit of heat out of, about of, you know, beating those guys up. But then they had him lose here. I was like, but it, why? It's 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 slowly jaunched to the ring, man. You know, I I, I oh I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe there was political implications because he won the Impact Tag Titles on Saturday, and so he couldn't lose on Wednesday. I don't know. Um, I mean, they did then. I mean, the, the the match then set up an angle where Hangman came out to make the save. So maybe maybe that was the rationale was that Frankie had to lose because he was getting the shit kicked out of him. But they could just beat him down after the match anyway. Like yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And then Kenny Omega came out and caught one of the weirdest oh. promos where, like, Callus was giving him the lines, even though the line was super obvious. Mm. Which, which, don't don't get me wrong, that came off as like scripted to me. Oh yeah. But, like, yeah. why why do it that way? I don't understand what the point of it was. Um, Their whole act is way too cute for me, especially for a world champion. I, I I'm I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah, and there was a bit. I remember. I forget which impact. There was a, a a bit on impact I was watching a few weeks ago where they they were coming in. Do you know when they, they have that little bit backstage where they kind of come in and go out? It's, uh, they they had just come into the building and someone was trying to interview them or something. But it came, it totally came off like Callus was the important person and Omega was like his little his little uh, crony. Which is the wrong way? The wrong way to do it. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm like, what does like, what does this character look like post world title as well? Like, I, I feel like that that feeling you just described that's going to be even more so when he doesn't have the title. He's just going to be Don Callis's lackey, right? Um, what else on this show? Jericho, Sean Spears. Uh, for what it was. That, was, that was a match. Um. <laughs> And then oh. MJF revealed his his labor for next week. Next fucking day. Yeah, I love that he brought. I love that since Dark Side of the Ring, he's made the pizza cutter his uh, his oh, trademark. Um, that was so funny. Um, yeah, you know that was cool. They, you know, he got a decent pop. A decent amount of the audience knew him. Um, yeah. I mean. <laughs> It was cool until Jericho promo later. Oh my god! Oh, oh that's when I—that's when I really realized because oh. I always thought right that the because Jericho would post those pictures where he's like, where he, like the the one where he's like drawing the makeup on, pulling a Ricky Gervais face in the mirror, um, <laughs> and I and and I used to think when he was in New Japan, I was like, does he? Because you know Jericho's like a smart guy, especially when it comes to wrestling characters. I was like, and he was a heel in New Japan. I was like, so is he? Is it like a bit? Is he deliberately doing like divorced dad, tragic fucking heavy metal 
um, you know, fan? Is he doing that on purpose to get like ironic heat? But then when he did this segment on Dynamite, he's like, he's a fucking Marvez or whoever is interviewing him. And he says, next week, the only man who could take on Nick Cage is the pain maker. And he turns around, he's got the makeup done. He's like, oh, no, oh, no, you just think this is cool. Oh, oh no. He's, oh, God. He's got the Milady Trilby hat on as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, especially with his big bloated face. It looks oh, this, this is going to, this match between the two of them. First of all, we'll talk about GCW Homecoming later. But Oh, between 50-year-old Jericho and, you know, Many, many injuries deep, Nick Gage. And just with the way the two of them look, it's going to look like a scrap for the last roly in, in the in the par- in in the parking lot outside a pub at like 3 a.m. Just a couple of old lads swinging on each other. I mean, I can't wait. It's gonna be hilarious. I can't wait. Um, but they're surely not doing a full like death match on dynamite. I could, I could see, not a full one, no. I could see Jericho probably wanting to do a, to prove he can and to get shock people. And I could see him getting the, the pizza cutter thing's fake anyway. Like, it's just, it's, it's just another hold the thing up to their head and they sell like they're being grated with it. Like, it's not really, I could see no, him. I, I understand that, but in terms of what TNT are going to allow them to do. Well, they had Moxie. similar to the, yeah. the match. Yeah, similar to the match on, on Dynamite. Moxie but the worst thing the worst they did was like... That's true, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, how good that's going to be. I actually, here's a hot take. I actually don't mind the, the Jericho makeup. I don't think it's cool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, nor did I think it was some kind of Finn Balor demon <laughs> entity than Jericho. I, I just thought that's what he did in New Japan. Um, so I don't mind that, but when he when he turned around with his little his little piggy Jerry Lawler face and went the pain maker, oh I, I, my toes curled like the Wicked Witch of the West, and he opened his mouth like Ryback after getting kissed by by Paul Heyman. Yeah. <laughs> he was missing the noise. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I I mean the Sean Spears match wasn't much obviously, but I'm liking this this uh, storyline. Um, yeah, it's good. I I was under the impression that it was going to be the five pinnacle members for some reason. Obviously, it isn't. Yeah, that, that would, look, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. But even looking back at the original promo, it was never that. So I don't know why I got in my head that that's what it was going to be. But that was, I mean, no. But I can under, I can understand why you would think that because the first one was Spears, and you know, uh, yeah. they would, but um, I I hope they have some interesting stuff lined up for the next three because. I, like, it, it, I feel like you don't want to have peaked with the second one where you got, like, a criminal in to have a death match with Jericho, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. That might be a tough act to follow if next week it's like, and now you're going to face T.J. Perkins from Impact. You know, it's like... <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think they will. I think I think, I think think they're going to have something special, but... Uh, here, here Here's a, a quick prediction for you, right? Do you think yes or no? That there's going to be as part of the the five, uh, a, a Tito Ortiz Rampage Jackson style MMA man come in and do it. King Mo, <laughs> King Mo, no, King Mo is would like be up to Jericho's nipple. Um, um, I actually, I, I actually, I, I, as an aside, I, I'm gonna MLW was back this week. Their their first show with fans. I must check it out because they they signed King Mo before the pandemic. Uh, the fi- the fifteenth wrestling company to tease that he's going to wrestle, um, 
but uh, but yeah, no, I I would I would hope not. I mean, uh, I mean, I I also don't know what they thought about the Hager Wardlow thing. I mean, I I hated it, but th- did they internally think it was awesome? You know, I thought it was good. Ugh. As we discussed. Uh, uh, what else was on this show? We had um, oh Britt Baker versus Nyla. It was all right. You know, Britt won. Um, on some other other minor news, but good news nonetheless. Thunder Rosa has officially signed with. Oh, WWE. of course. That's a big good news. That's a big coup because she's been like on like popping up left, right, and center on Impact, and I was like, you know. She was kind of stuck on that NWA deal for quite a while. So poor NWA have lost their two best women. Um, now, all these companies are working together and playing nice. So I'm sure they'll be back and forth. But, um, you know, a- a- AEW's existence as a-, as a second major promotion, that makes it really tough to be NWA or Impact or MLW sized. Um, yeah, I-, I mean, at the same time, I think those companies need to need to know what they are you know? oh of course yeah 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 um yeah so that was it for dynamite except for the main event which i, I did think was pretty fun um it was i was shocked by the uh, result as well yeah yeah um i guess Mo- yeah, and moxie's had that thing forever because he had it for the whole pandemic um but um but like archer isn't even a new japan guy as far as i'm aware no, but I guess, um, uh, I guess, but I don't know. Well, yeah, they're, they're playing nice, I guess, for the moment. So yeah, they are. Matter. I mean, they they're 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 using the Bullet Club name. They had, of course, Hikuleo in the crowd. Um, yeah. uh, he came in to confront Archer to set up. A, I think they are. It's next week, actually. They are having a title match. Yes, uh, Hikuleo. I did not realize is like a shoot seven foot tall. <laughs> he towered over Lance Archer. I was like, what the it. fuck. And Jim Ross, he's never heard him get so excited in a in a in a on this big guy. My gosh! <laughs> yeah, I think they both they said in commentary that they're both six eight. But then when Hikaleo got in the ring, Archer looked like, like a little three inches tall. Yeah, little next to him. Mental, yeah. So the, I I've, I don't think I've ever seen Hikaleo wrestle. So I don't know if he's any good, but he's having a. A match next week, but yeah, yeah, I guess they're playing nice. Maybe Archer will do a similar thing, which is just defended on Dynamite. Maybe he'll maybe he'll pop up on um, uh, strong. strong, or they are doing a. Um, but yeah, I guess I suppose there's no there's no uh, Japanese talent flying over. I don't think they're doing a a uh, U.S. New Japan show in a in a, like a it's not a basketball. They're doing it in a small arena anyway. Uh, but Strong has been like taped what in like an empty LA dojo or whatever. Um, but they, they're they're selling tickets to an actual New Japan USA show, and so maybe they're thinking, hey, can, Mr. Tony, can we have can we have a little bit of Lance Archer on that show? You know, just uh, which is yeah, fair enough. Get him in the um, oh, and also Chavo Guerrero debuted. We didn't even talk about. Oh, that. we completely uh, forgot about that segment. Yeah, I listen. I rolled my eyes when he came. He got a huge pop, which was really funny. Um, I I rolled my eyes that, but I thought he was all right. You know, if 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 yeah. if we're going to have a Guerrero talk for Andrade, I'd rather be him than Vicky. Yeah, I was happy that they they seemed to have quietly dropped the Vicky alignment. Vicky was nowhere to be seen when he came out, so that's probably for the better. Yes, yeah. Although I've always found Chavo a bit a bit dry, but uh, he's certainly better than Andrade, who still he talks so slowly. I I don't know, even like English or Spanish, he just has this slow delivery that doesn't quite work for a, a US TV 
wrestling promotion. Yeah, that that was the thing that jumped out to me this week was that even when he was speaking in Spanish, I was like, "Oh, this guy doesn't seem very confident." All of a sudden, even in his own language, uh, and, and 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 I suppose Chavo was earning his paycheck straight away because he was kind of when Andrade was speaking, he kind of jumped in and kind of kept the segment together a little bit. Um, uh, you know. Yeah, it's rough early days for Andrade, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they 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 teased another. Uh, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna feud with Pac and the and the Death Triangle, um, which will you know hopefully be good. Um, I I was hoping Andrade would kill it with Matt Seidel because he's he's having a solid little run and he very much did not. Um, right. So. Yeah, uh, that was dynamite. I think that was a um a a, a pretty solid, but not great. Uh, episode of TV next week's fight for the fallen. They've got that big ten man tag, which will probably be tremendous. Um, the elite versus Hangman in the Dark Order. Uh, yeah. If the baby faces, if the baby faces lose, they don't get Hangman can challenge for the world title, and the Dark Order can challenge for the tag belts. So uh, yeah, that'd be good. And I think they've some other. It looks like a solid enough card. I, uh, oh, they're yeah. go on. You have Jericho, Nick Gage. Yes, no rules match. No rules Santana match. Ortiz, FTR. That'd be good. Which should be very good, yeah. Christian Cage and Jurassic Express versus <laughs> the Hardy family, which is the, the weird team of Private Party and Angelico. Oh, God. Which, whatever about that. Uh, the Elite versus Hangman and the Dark Order, and then Lance Archer, Hikaleo for the US title. What a weird what a weird <laughs> card that is. Uh, but it, it seems all right. Um, and then they're back to Daly's place. Uh, yes, yeah, which and they keep saying on commentary for the last time in a while we're we're gonna go to Daly's place. It's like okay, uh, and that's where they are doing Tommy End versus Cody, Cody, and also Miro will defend the TNT title on that show. Yeah, I love all the Miro promos by the way. All, whenever Miro is not wrestling, and his his wrestling is still the best thing he does. But I now on any week he's not wrestling, he just does this promo about how, how he's God has chosen him and he's this great athlete, and they're great. I just love it. Whenever he's arrested, people should be asking, where's Miro? Where's Miro? Where's Miro? Um, so, yeah. That speak, was... Speaking of homecoming. Or? GCW homecoming. Yes. Uh, Joe, did you watch the uh, the main event? Uh, I did. GCW. I did. Paul, did you watch I it? Through. I kind of flicked through the match itself. I was more interested in the, mm-hmm. the, the non-match uh, components of how it was put together. I... I flicked through the rest of the show as well and watched a little bit of uh, Marco Stunt uh, wrestling a fellow sort of preschooler who was about, <laughs> about his size. I don't, they're in, are they're, yeah, seem to be starting a kind of flyweight, strawweight division in you know, GCW, which is interesting. Also, a uh, match with two code Scorpio uh, having a fag halfway through. Uh, and a nice smoke. And I the was watching Jeff Hardy's heel entrance uh, in the week. When he came out with the, he got a butt on. He's sucking on a butt. Yeah. <laughs> Did they really say that? I think they said. I don't think they said he was sucking on a butt. That might have been badly interpreted, but they they definitely called it a butt. He's like he's um something on a butt. I don't know what what, what verb they used, but yeah, very very funny. Oh, um, but yeah, this uh, this GCW uh, main event. I mean. Talk about the match in a second, but the the important bits delivered, which is um, two ridiculous entrances. I mean, two absolutely crazy entrances. 
where Cardona comes out and he's just getting mobbed. Like this puts like Cena one night stand to shame because these fans are physically touching uh, <laughs> Zack Ryder, you know, middle fingers right in his face. Um, and then Nick Gage, you know, he always has the thing where he comes out and everyone's hugging him and jumping on him. I was like, this man is not going to get to the ring because it was literally like wall to wall people. The second he came out from the curtain, he immediately kind of was pushed back by an absolutely insane sea of fans. Yeah, it was uh, fantastic. (laughs) It's kind of old, like old school ECW kind of. Kind of vibe. Yeah, I think that's the vibe they're going for, for sure. Um, and it's, yeah, it feels very intense. But yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and the commentator's just burying uh, Cardona as well. Uh, <laughs> I think it was doll, doll collecting pussy. <laughs> uh, was the main thing. Uh, but completely burying the whole, whole kind of YouTube show and playing with dolls and stuff. That was great. And Cardona did a really good job at playing up to it. His his mannerisms were so funny because he did the best. Mm. Oh, I'm a pussy who doesn't know how to swing a light chip. Yeah, <laughs> it was so great. And then when it was time for him to get his ass beat, he was begging and crying and pleading for mercy and scared and whimpering. And it was oh my god, he was he was he was genuinely fantastic. He was really really great. He was also the fucking most jacked man who ever existed. In that company, yeah. Well, I suppose with the exception oh. of Shane Mercer, yeah. But, like, he tanned as well. Like, he was just glowing. Hogan <laughs> levels. Hot dog tan. Someone someone shared the clip there of this day. It was actually 10 years ago this day. He had a match on Raw with Michael Cole, um, which was uh, one, of, one, of, one, of, one of those moments where, like, the, it, it was during that time when the crowd were chanting for him all the time. So they, they he got a big pop coming out because he's like, oh, because he was he was the guy. He was the internet favorite at that time, mm-hmm. and he was such a little. I mean, he better than me, but he was such a noodle armed, like skinny. Uh, he had a bunch. He had like a bunch of deliberately comical, bad fake tan on ten years ago because he was really doing the ironic kind of jersey uh, gimmick. But compared to then today, when he fucking huge and he's like legitimately super tanned and um mm-hmm. looked like a superstar um that's the match where michael cole came out dresses in triple h's gear yes he oh the horrible little trunks and oh my god <sighs> um but back yeah back to the match i mean when it came time to do the wrestling um uh nick gage is um I don't know. I feel like he's, he's got a lot of miles on the clock. He literally just came back from a pretty bad ankle injury. Um, mm. and, and I think that's kind of obvious. I mean, he's, I, I was watching this thinking it's a genius idea. I'm glad AEW are doing it. I absolutely would do it. But I kind of look like, oh, this, this match on Wednesday may be hideous. Because um, he was not yeah, moving around. Yeah, it depends well. what they do. He's not there to fucking wrestle. I mean, why, why even have him do moves? Just pizza cutter and a few punches. That's what that's it, really. Um, but I thought this, the whole angle that they've been doing building up to this match has been brilliant. The way they've booked it has been fantastic. And it, it's so good as well because it, it plays off their real-life kind of personalities and their real-life histories. Yeah. And they are complete kind of opposing, you know, polar opposites in terms of, sort of wrestling backgrounds. And so the way they've, they've played that off has been brilliant. Um, 
Yeah, and the, and the match, obviously the match itself was dog shit, <laughs> apart from the bits <laughs> kind of Gary mentions where, you know, with Cardona selling the light tubes and stuff and everything was was fine. But um, yeah, the match was shit, but the, the event was like brilliant. It was H- Hogan Warrior. Don't worry about the match. doesn't matter if the match is any good. Yeah. It's just the event, the storyline. Brilliant. Um. Yeah, and then of course we had the post by. So they did a bunch of shit at the <laughs> at the finish where yeah. uh, Ricky Shane Page is stable running, and they he came out and was like, "Wait, no, um, what?" They they were beating up Nick Gage, and then he, and then uh, Ricky Shane Page came out and was like, "Wow, wait, no, in favor of Cardona, no, that's terrible." So he then beat up his own stable, but then also low blowed Nick Gage because I guess they are still feuding. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then in a roundabout way, Cardona won, which um, I suppose you could say was shocking. But it's kind of like this is they just did this with Ricky Shea Page, so it's kind of like the one angle they like to do is um, you won't believe who beat Dan, uh, Nick Cage. Um, but uh, but yeah, so he won, and then he got pelted with shit for twenty minutes. Yeah, which was fantastic. <laughs> Meltzer had a bit of a weird one about that. I don't know. What what he was on about but yeah uh, well i I, i'm looking at his tweets here right he said i'm the the tweet the the now infamous tweet is i'm sure people will make their lame excuses for it or say how great the heat was but this crowd reaction was such bullshit such an embarrassment to the industry and he's he's further tweeted about it Uh, i've seen fans taken out on stretchers from fans throwing things at the ring and missing blassie nearly went blind from someone throwing stuff at him and nailing his eye the list is endless of wrestlers and fans hurt. So I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a fantastic visual. The man got his head cut open with a pizza cutter and a fucking light bulb, and he's worried about a Coke bottle to get thrown in the ring. Yeah. Meltzer. Yes. Yeah, but it was great. Uh, feud, feud of the year, currently, for me. We'll see, we'll see where they go with it. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, that oh, the shooting forks back. Sorry, that's me. That's me. That's me. Sorry, 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 sorry. So, uh, yeah, we will be back, um, this time next week again with a, uh, what we have. So, yeah, we'll be talking obviously about Nick Gage versus Chris Jericho. We'll have more movie and game guff, of course. Uh, if you want to join me and Paul on uh, in the chat on Thursday night, you could do so. Uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Irish time and British uh, time, British summer time. I'll be on twitch.tv slash barrylad uh, with Bloodborne and Mario Sunshine. And uh, I'm starting to think up and, and I've got I've got my finalized list, but I'm going to pick what I'm doing next. I think, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how many more weeks left of Sunshine I have. I feel like maybe in another two or three streams I'll probably have it finished. Um, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. So in the meantime, obviously, chairshoppodcast.com if you want to pop us an email with your thoughts about, you know, Nick Gage or AEW or games or movies or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, or the Olympics. If you've got any Olympic takes, you can do that. You can also send them over to at chairshoppod as well uh, if you hate Eurosport and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So we'll be back next week, folks. Stay hydrated in this brutal heat and we'll talk to you next week. It's goodbye from me, Barry. It's goodbye from Paul. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Joe. Goodbye. Goodbye.